There are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Soul to Soul on your radio. Wow, what a special Friday. Hoshana Rabba, Erev, Shabbos, Erev, Shmini Atzeres, and Simchas Torah. What an amazing, amazing time to be in the middle of. And what a schus to be able to spend a little bit of time on such a day that's Yom HaKadosh, on such a holy, vaunted day, to talk some Torah together, to inspire ourselves, to get us ready. To build us up for the climax of this beautiful Chag HaSukkos, which is coming, Shan Rabbah today, building up to an amazing, amazing crescendo of Simcha, pure, pure joy and, and overwhelming, overwhelming Simcha. So let's, let's divide perhaps our, our show. We want to talk a little bit about the Pasha, because this is a shir where we discuss the Pasha. Of course, the Pasha of this week is the Zoy Sabrocha. And then we'll talk a little bit about Simchas Torah Be'ez Hashem. And then we'll do, hopefully, some halacha at, at the end. So, of course, the at the beginning of this week's Pasha, we have the very, very famous Pasuk. That's when the first Pasukim you teach a child when he's able to speak. The Torah that Moshe commanded us, Moshe Kilas Yaakov is the heritage of the entire community, of the entire congregation of, of, of Yaakov. Now, there's one in, in Sukkah Dafka, in Sukkah Dafman Beis, it says, when a cotton, when a young child knows how to speak, his father teaches him Torah. What does he teach him? Obviously, this is a child at the very beginning of his kind of cognitive development, when he's just learning to speak. So if Amnuna says, he teaches him, We learn from here, that a child's inaugural connection, with the Torah, should be, the awareness that it is a Yerusha, a heritage, which belongs to all the congregation, of Yaakov. As long as, as one is counted as a card-carrying member of Kielis Yaakov, the Torah is our heritage. Now, Moshe Sternbach Shlita posits that herein lies the foundation of Torah Chinuch. The Torah is our very bequest from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It is bequeathed from father to son from Rebbe to Talmud, as a Yerusha, as an inheritance, which we, they, received from HaKadosh Baruch. A young child says words. Even if he parrots the words, he hears. Often without understanding their meaning and certainly their depth. As such, he follows the example of the adults with whom he comes in contact, which are, of course, his parents and his early rabbeim. It is for this reason that Rav Sternbach strongly suggests that the primary and perhaps only example he has be his father, thus continuing the Messiah, the heritage of his family and upbringing. The Pasuk Torah Tziva Lanu is the principle which underscores the basic cornerstone of Torah. Our Abayim, our parents, must be the role models that our children learn the Messiah from. Not from any other characters, not from any other things that they're placed in front of, that they are, are, are sat down in front of to sort of pass the time if those become the role models and what they say and what they espouse become the th- earliest things that a child imbibes, there's a problem. Understandably, the orientation of our children's kenuch should be a link 
with the past generations. While we may introduce, and we should introduce sometimes, innovative methods, the basic philosophy of Torah transmission, heralding back to previous generations, is the overriding pedagogical tool which we employ. The lessons we teach must be pristine in the sense that the curriculum and the spiritual level and demeanor of the educators remains completely un- unchanged. That is our legacy. This is 11.9, Chai FM. The program is Soul to Soul. We're coming back with much, much more. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio. Erev, Shabbos, Kodesh, Aishan Araba, Erev, Shmini Atzeres, and Simchos Torah. Amazing, amazing weekend. In the parasha we're going to read, there's a Shaman on Simchos Torah. We actually read about the death of Moish Rabbeinu. And subsequently, by Yifku Bnei Yisrael's Moshe. The Bnei Yisrael kind of bewailed, cried for Moshe. And then, by Yitmu Yimei Bechia Moshe. Then, the days of the morning for Moshe Rabbeinu ended. Yeshua Benun Molei Ruach And Yeshua Benun was filled <coughs> with the spirit of wisdom. Because Moshe Rabbeinu had laid his hands upon upon him. You know, when a, a, a Torah giant is, is Nifter and he passes away, so of course, it leaves a void which cannot be filled. The next tzaddik, the next righteous person, will establish his own position and his own approach and his own following. He will never be able to replace his predecessor. Each Torah Godel is on his own individual spiritual plane and has his own unique impact on his followers. Moish Rabbeinu took leave of his beloved nation. The void that the Bnei Yisrael felt was immediately filled by Yeshua, Hashem's handpick successor to Moshe Rabbeinu. While Yeshua was a very capable leader who kind of navigated the nation throughout their war with the seven nations and then the Chalukah, the apportioning of Eretz Yisrael, he was not Moshe Rabbeinu. Yeshua was Yeshua and Moshe was Moshe. And it is the scenario whenever we become bereft of one leader and another one assumes the helm of leadership. Uh, Moshe Sternbach Shlita observes that when one leader is nifter, we ought to move on in support of the next leader. We do not dwell upon the past, but move on to the present. Vayitmu evel b'chi Moshe. The time for crying for Moshe was over. The Yeshua ben Nun The days of, of, of the, of the tearful morning for Moshe ended and Yeshua ben Nun was filled with the spirit of wisdom. This teaches that the nation was not absorbed in painful mourning. Right? The weeping had ended. Now was the time to raise up the banner of Kaiso to confirm its new leader. Yeshua indeed, the mere fact that Moshe Rabbeinu left over a Talmud, a student, who could seamlessly move into the position of leadership, was in and of itself an indication that Moshe was still, so to speak, alive. His presence felt throughout the nation. Rav Shtormach explains that this idea was the basis of the contrast between Yaakov Avinu and Rachel Imenu in understanding the name to be given to their youngest child. Vinyamin, Rachel named him, 
Ben Oni, literally, the son of my mourning. While Yaakov named him Ben Yamin, son of the right or the power. Rachel focused on the pain she had endured in his birth, coupled with the awareness that she would not live to raise him. Yaakov preserved part of the name, but added Yemin, right, which would then transform Oni, my mourning, right, into Oni, my strength. Rachel wanted everyone to remember the tragedy that had accompanied his birth. Yaakov did not want to perpetuate the painful memories. He understood that to serve HaKadosh Baruch properly, one must emphasize the positive. We daven. We have emuna. We hope for HaKadosh Baruch salvation. The past is gone. We must glean and incorporate its lessons into the present so that we can hope for a stronger and brighter future. Harav David Moishazal, who was the fifth son of, of the Saint Division Rebbe, was founder of the Charkova Hasidus. He was a very, very, very big tzaddik who spent his days Mamish in seclusion, serving HaKadosh Baruch on a very, very high esoteric level. His son and successor, Harav Yisrael, concretized the Hasidus into one of the largest Hasidic groups in Europe in the early 20th century. One year, prior to Avdobel Moshe's Petira, he called in his son and instructed him, sit in my chair and assume my position as Rebbe. Rabbi Shor Kavarat, Tata, what are you saying? He refused to sit in his father's seat. Even after his father had repeated his request, he relented only to sit and immediately get up. It was after the third request that he acquiesced and remained seated. His father told him, You shall be Rebbe, and all the brachas which you will confer on Klayasel, will be as if I had blessed him. The Rebbe then asked his son to reply, Amen. To which Rav Yisrael applied, Amen. Right? Together with you. He later said that his father's dying bracha to him was not fulfilled because he had not responded Amen the way his father had instructed him. Rather, he had said, Amen, together with you. Subsequently, prior to breathing his last, Rav David Moshe crowned Rav Yisrael Rebbe. Fifteen years prior to the altar, Tzadkava Rav David Moshe's tira, he suddenly, without warning, stopped saying the Torah at his tish. Right? Yiddish, by the way, Tish means table, in this case referring to the tradition of Hasidim sitting at the Rebbe's table and receiving shirayim, small portions of food from the Rebbe, singing together and listening to the Rebbe's innovative Torah thoughts. The Tish is like kind of the defining ritual of a Hasidic master or Rebbe at all kinds of public functions. The Hasidim were understandably upset. Why had he stopped saying the return? After he persistently requested that the Rebbe retract his decision, he instructed them to go to his son, Rav Yisrael, and ask him to say Torah for them. This became the accepted norm, with Rav Yisrael sitting next to his father, presenting the return. Apparently, the Alter Rebbe was grooming his son for the day in which he would assume the helm of 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 of, of the of the of the leadership of of Chukavachasidus. While Rabbi Yisrael acted as his father's right hand man, in no way did this diminish the esteem and awe that the manifested for his father. He never entered 
his father's room without first requesting permission. He would never speak to his father unless he had first been addressed. The respect continued on even after the passing of the Alter Rebbe, always acknowledging that he felt himself to be a far cry from his father in every way. Nonetheless, when the moment came for Rabbi Yisrael to assume leadership of Chofar Hasidus, he did so with dignity and authority, indicating his ability to navigate and lead Hasidus to its next plateau. In many other Hasidic courts, the son does not play an active role during his father's lifetime. A short cut was different because the Rebbe wanted it this way. It was almost as if the Alter Rebbe was preparing his Hasidim for that moment in which they would have to accept his son as their leader. He wanted them to know that it was his decision that Rabbi Yisrael fill his shoes. This is 11.9, Chai FM. The program is soul to soul. We're going to come back with a discussion about Simchas Torah. Stay tuned. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM, Erev Shabbos Kodesh, Ashara Rabbi, Erev Shmini and of course, Erev Simchas Torah, as we get ready for the absolute pinnacle of joy of the entire year, dancing with the Sefer Torah. And it seems interesting. Why is it that Simchas Torah specifically follows the Chag of Sukkot? Is it some kind of coincidence? We just sort of fit it in, slot it in over there. How, how is the, what are the dynamics of this relationship? So it's brought in this forum on the pasuk basukos teshvu, you must sit in sukkahs, the mitzvah of sitting in the sukkah during the seven days of sukkahs. So it says, the word teshvu, if you take the acronym, the first letter of the words of teshvu, right? It's sisu, it's a sin, out of order. The vav is vesimchu. The base is besimchas, and the tough is Torah. So taken a little bit out of order, the words teshu stands for sisu, the simchu, they should rejoice and be happy on simchas Torah. And we need to really understand, what is the connection of simchas Torah to Chagasukas? Why is it, in fact, that simchas Torah is placed right next to Chagasukas. It would seemingly have made much more sense to put Simchas Torah somehow connected to Chagashvus, which is the Chag of Matan Torah, the Chag of giving of the Torah. Why is it here at the end of, at the end of Sukkot? Perhaps you can explain with the following introduction. In the Sefer Chanukah Satayra, in the beginning of Pashas Vayishlach, Rashi brings there, on, on the Pasuk, Pasuk actually begins the Pasha, the first Pasuk of the Pasha, Vayishlach Yaakov Malachim. Yaakov sent Malachim, messengers, to Esav, his brother. And Rashi says, Malachim Mamish. These were actual angels, these weren't Human messengers, these were, in fact, in fact, angels. And the question is, we need to give a reason for this. Why was it that Yaakov specifically sent actual angels? Why didn't he send uh, human messengers? So someone to give over to Esau uh, a message, someone that, that would give, uh, would, in, would sort of impart to Ace of the information that Yaakov needed and wanted him to know would have been sufficient to send human beings. Why did he send uh, angels? So there's a medrash on on a pasuk in in Pasha's Kisisa, where Moshabenu asked, "Hareini nosk vadecha, show me Akalish Baruchu, your honor, 
And Hashem answers, Kilo Yirani Ha Adam Bachoi. No one can see me at them. And there are two explanations of what that means. The first one is that it's impossible to see the Shekhinah and to continue to live in this world. person who sees the Shekhinah will die straight away when he sees the Divine Presence. And he brings an analogy, Marshal, Laegel, a calf. When a calf sees its mother, the calf runs after the mother. She needs us which is a spark of the shina itself. When it sees the shina miad, straight away it separates itself from the body. It runs after the Shekhinah. The draw, the sort of almost magnetic pull of the, of the Neshama towards the Shekhinah is so great that as soon as it would see it, it would want to join it. That's one explanation. The other is that it's kind of a command. In other words, don't, no one can see me and be alive. In other words, that don't compare yourself. No human being has the right to compare themselves to angels. Angels get the privilege of seeing the Shina and they can live forever. Right? But don't compare yourself to Malchi Asharis. They have this advantage over human beings. Malachim can see Hashem and continue to exist. A human being cannot see a Akadosh Baruch Hu and continue, continue to exist. And perhaps the, the, the difference of these two explanations is actually like an important argument which is played out by a dispute that exists between two great Tanoim in the Gemara in, in Chulin, Davtzal Yalef. Whether we say, we have a discussion there, who is greater? Tzadikim, great righteous people, or Malachashars, or the ministering angels of HaKadosh Baruch Right? Or, is it Tzadikim greater? Or in fact, other Malachashars, Greater than the tzaddikim. If we say that the malachim are greater, so then it makes sense that if malachim are greater, they can look at the shechina, and the tzaddik would have no right to look at the shechina. But if the tzaddikim, in fact, are even greater than the malachim, so then. If Malachim are able to see the Shekhinah and still live, then Tzaddikim also should be able to gaze at the Shekhinah and continue to exist in this world. Now the Medrash brings down two different reasons for what we're told that when Yitzchak became elderly, his eyes became chaos, his eyes became weak from being able to, to, to see. One was uh, that he did see the Shekhinah at the time of the Akedah and therefore he became like blind and, and a blind person is virtually considered like a dead person. Or it was in order to facilitate Yaakov being able to come and taking the brachas from his brother. So perhaps you can say that that's why Yaakov sent real angels. Because who's greater? The person who sends someone or the person who is sent? So generally we say the person who who gives the order, who sends someone to do something, is greater than the shaliyat, the person who's actually doing it. So therefore, 
Yaakov Avinu was indicating by him sending angels that he sort of has dominion over the angels. He can, so to speak, order them around. And he wanted to show Esav that a tzaddik is even greater than a malach. If that's so, if a tzaddik is greater than a malach, then in fact the question becomes, why was it that Yitzchak's eyes were dimmed because he saw the Shekinah? Therefore, we almost have to come to the conclusion that perhaps the second reason is the correct reason. In order that I, Yaakov Avinu, should be able to come and take the brachas. So therefore, why are you hating me, tells Esav? Why do you hate me that I took the brachas? You see that this is, uh, 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 that, uh, yeah, it really was, it really was mine. HaKadosh Baruch orchestrated that Dafka, our father, should become blind, so I'd be able to get the brachas. That clearly then was the will of Hashem, that I should get the, the brachas. And that may also have been Yaakov's intention when he said, when he meets Esav, says, Ki alkein roisi That's why I wanted to see your face. Ki rois it's as if I'm seeing the face of Hashem. In other words, he was hinting to him that he had seen the Shina. And if so, uh, 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 we see that a tzaddik is allowed to see the Shina. Ah, uh, what about the fact that our father Yitzchak saw the Shina and he became blind? So you have to sort of then say, that the whole reason why Yitzchak became blind is not the cause. It's not permissible for a tzaddik to see the Shekinah. A tzaddik can see the Shekinah. The only reason Yitzchak lost his eyesight was so that I should be able to come and take and take the brachas. And therefore, it's completely logical and completely, therefore, orchestrated by Shemayim that the brachas should come to me. To this, Esav responded, <coughs> Yeshli Rav, I have lots. Achi, my brother, Yehilacha Shalach, do you have what you have? In other words, at that point, he admitted to him that in fact, Yaakov was the one who deserved to get the brachas. As it says in, 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 in the, in the Medrash. Now, after this episode, straight away, it says, Vayoshav Vayomahu Esav Lidarkoi Seira. At that, on that day, Esav went off back to his home to Seir. The Yaakov Nasa Sukhoisa. Yaakov traveled to Sukhois. Ayyivin Lobois. And he built himself a house. And for his cattle he made sukkahs. And therefore he called the name of the place sukkahs. And from this pasuk, the tour in Simon Tuf Yud Zion learns out that Chaga sukkahs corresponds to Yaakov Avinu. Let's put it together. In the Sefer Yisrael Yosef, he brings every time that a person looks up at the schach that's over his head, so really what should happen is a tremendous awe of HaKadosh Baruch Hu should fall on him, and he should think about the awesomeness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's greatness. And he should think that the schach are really the two names of Hashem, the name Yud and then Hey and then Avov and then another Hey, and Aleph Dalid Nun Yud. And he should think to himself that the same way as in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, we're told that the Kiruvim, the cherubs, sort of blanketed over and covered the Aran, so to the Schach covers us and protects us in HaKadosh Baruch Hu's beautiful, beautiful in embrace. Pnei Sacha writes a similar 
uh, concept. And he says that the word sukkah actually comes from the word seicha baruch hakadosh. When sitting in the sukkah, we have the ability to reach such a high level that we can be privy to a relationship that Hakadosh Baruch Hu that is beyond any experience normally by 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 a person. So therefore, someone sits in the sukkah. He has the schus to look at the Shekinah Kedosh. That's what the schak is. How is that possible? I lo yurani We said no one can see the Shekinah and live. But on Chagasukkahs, uh, we've already, which is, we said, we get because of Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu proved that Sadiqim are even greater than Malachim. Right? And the apostle Kilo Yurani Adam Machai is talking about the Malachim. The Malachim cannot see me. But a Tzaddik, who is greater than the Malach, is able to look at the Shechina. Now, the Malachim had a complaint against the Jewish nation. They claimed that it's they, they deserve that they should get the Torah. As the Gemara Shabbos says, I'm going to have a Shuman Levi. And when Shabbos went up, to get the Torah. So the Malchiyashara said to him before Hashem, Rebbeinah what's this human being doing here? So Moshe said, so Hashem said, he's come to get the Torah. So he said, what? The incredible treasure that you have, have hidden already for 974 generations before the world was even created. You want to give this to a human being? What, what connection do we have? To human beings. Hashem, if you want to give the Torah, give it to us here in Shemaim. You know, it's, Malachim came with a claim that the Torah is more fitting to them because of the concept that angels are greater than Tzadikim. However, on Chagasukas, again, we clarified through Yaakov Ovinu that in fact Tzadikim are even greater than Malachim. And therefore, the Torah is more appropriate to be given to B'nai Israel and not to Malachim. And that is the cause of our celebration, of our dancing on Simchas Torah. Because we have a greater affinity to the Torah than even, than even the angels. And based on this, perhaps you can explain the Medrash where it says that by Avram it says, that he told the Malachim to recline, sit down under the tree. And it says, what did he do? It says he made them a, a sukkah. And Avraham Avinu chose specifically to bring the Malachim into a sukkah in order to sort of, from the very beginning, tell them, right, don't have claims that you are more fitting, that you are more deserving to receive the Torah because of the fact that Malachim are greater than Tzadikim. No! The Sukkah proves that Tzadikim are even greater than, than Malachim. And therefore, Am Yisrael are the, really the ones worthy and deserving of receiving the Torah. Perhaps you can go even further. The Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah says... That on Sukkot's time, we're judged upon how much water we're going to have for the, for the, uh, for the year. In other words, Chaga Sukkot is the very fundamental of being able to receive the great outpouring, the great Shefa of our Kaddish Baruch who's giving of, of Parnasa for the entire year. As in fact, we find Right, uh, 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 the 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 uh, in, in the tefillah, which written that a chaga sukkas hakadosh baruch hu's mashpia to klayisrael seva, all the plenty, all the benevolence, all the greatness we're going to have for the year comes to us on on on, suk- on sukkas, and that's because it's brought down in 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 this forum that sukkah. Right? The word sukkah, the gematria is 60 and 6 and 20 is 86. Hey is 91. Which of course is the combination of the name of Hashem Yudke Vavke, 26, 
and Aleph Dalit Nun Yud, which is 65. Because the letters, right, the Chof and the Vav of the Sukkah have the name of the Gemachia 26. And the letters Samachay from the Sukkah have the Gemachia of Aleph Dalit Nun Yud. And together, the Chof, Vav, and the Samachay, they join together with the word uh, Sukkah, which is the, the, the joining together of those two names of Hashem. Now, we know it says, Paseach es yodecha. Shall we ask Hashem, Hashem, open up your hands. And if you take the gematria of those three words, Pei of Paseach, Aleph of Es, and Yod Yodecha, we get again this 91. Parnasa comes through the combination of the name Aleph Talib Nun Yud and the name uh, of of uh, of uh, Yud K Based on, on what we're saying, Sukkot time is the time for us to daven and to beseech Hakadosh Baruch Hu to bring down Parnasa for the entire year, because on Chagas Sukkot we've clarified through sitting in the Sukkot through Yaakov Avinu. That tzaddikim are even greater than the Malchi Asharis. And it, it was, it was mutter for Yitzchak to actually look at the Shechina. And therefore, I, while his eyes become blind, said Yaakov Vinu will be able to receive the brachas. And therefore, we are all deserving of the brachas of Yaakov Avinu. Let us celebrate. Let us use Simchas Torah to celebrate our supremacy, even over the angels, our ability to have as close a relationship with our Kodesh Baruch Hu as we're desirous of, and to be the ones who are privileged to study His His Torah. How fortunate is our is our lot to be able to have a relationship with our Kodesh Baruch Hu, to be able to study His Torah. Let's make this a beautiful, beautiful. Here's one one point nine five and the program is soul to soul. We'll be back in a moment with our Hilchos Shabbos. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 FM, back on your radio, Erev Shabbos Kodesh. Today is Hoshan Rabbah, it's Erev Shminyat Seves, and of course, Simcha's Torah looming right around the corner of the great, great days of Simcha, of joy, the highlight of the whole period of the Chagim, working up towards this great, great crescendo and, and finale. And Baruch Hashem, we have this chus to spend a few minutes to learn together something. We're now in our Hilchas Shabbos segment, which means that we always introduce it by giving ourselves the, rel- the relevant and important times that we need for this weekend. So this afternoon, the earliest time to bench Licht and get this Shabbos and Yontif uh, weekend, beautiful, beautiful Kaddish Venera time together is at 4.52. 4.52 is the earliest time to bench, bench Licht, which means, yeah, maybe some of us aren't uh, as busy as always, but of course it's a crazy busy day, two days of Yontif and some Chastara, lots to do, but if we can, let's get it on as early as as possible, let's try to start, try to start this Shabbos Yantav beautiful, beautiful series in, in the best possible way. 4.52, we can do it. If you can't make the earliest time, then the latest time for benching Lich this week is exactly one hour later, 5.52. Eight minutes before six o'clock is the absolute latest time for benching, benching Lich. Please regard that as the deadline for our candle lighting, no driving, no malacha really after that point, unless it's an absolute emergency, then one can use the, the few minutes after that until, until Shkia, but please don't rely on that. Uh, have the sukkah set up for those who have the custom. I think most of us to, to eat in the sukkah still on Shmini Atzeres. Get everything there that you need. Remember, we will make Kiddush. We'll make Shech but we will not make the bracha over Leishev, Leishev Asukah. The, go moving on in the times, the, the, uh, uh, Shkia 
is exactly at 10 minutes past 6. 6.10 is at Shkia. That's absolute latest time for having one's candles lit. Please make sure you need to light a yard site light so that you'll be able to 24-hour candles, so that you'll be able to bench licht again on Moitzei Shabbos. Some have the custom also because on on Shabbos Shemiyatzeris is, is Yisko. Some will put up a flame for that for that uh, also. If you want to be able to daven Mayrev Bismanwe and not have to repeat the Krishma afterwards, so the earliest time for that is at 6.28. 6.28, you can daven Mayrev and then come and sit in the sukkah one more night and enjoy the beautiful warmth and ambiance of, of, of the sukkah with the family. It's a wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, thing together. And again, as I say, we don't say Leishma Sukkah, but we do eat in, in the sukkah. Tomorrow, Anshmini uh, Atzeris is probably one of the longest davenings of, of the year. Obviously, we have Hallel because it is Yom Tov. And then we're going to read the Megillah of Kahelis. Haven't done that yet. Often, if we have a chance, we do it on Shabbos Cholmoyed. But if there is no Shabbos Cholmoyed, then we do it on Shmini Atzeris, followed by Laning. And, of course, uh, it's a Shabbos, so we do seven Aliyas. And then, because it's Shmini Atzeris, we do Yiskoya. And then, Tfilas Geshem. So there's quite, quite an elongated, uh, Service and of course followed by a, a beautiful bracha, last bracha in the in the uh, in, in the sukkah, and then of course the suda, the Shabbos suda, Yantu suda in in the afternoon, still in the in the uh, in the sukkah. Tomorrow night, lel some so one cannot light candles or do any malacha in preparation for the second day for some chastera before six forty-two. Six forty-two is night, the end of of Shabbos, obviously if one wants to bring things to shul for Simchas Torah, one can either do that before Shabbos starts or after uh, 6.42 bring them to shul, also any heating or food preparation, only after that point and of course tomorrow night we have the amazing Hakafas and the beautiful beautiful Simcha of, of Simchas Torah and of course followed by then a, a normal a normal surah, of course, is, uh, we're getting used to it now. Uh, the Kiddush will include Kiddush and Havdalah. This is now the third time in, in four weeks we're doing this, so it should become a little bit more, more, more routine. Um, uh, Kiddush and, and Havdalah, and then, of course, the Sudis, Sudis, uh, Yom Tov, and then, of course, some Chastari with all its merriment and every shul with its own sort of process and procedures and, and protocols that they, that they cover and, on Sunday night, Yontif, and finally the end of Sunchastara will be also at 6.42. So that's just a bit of a rundown of, of the important times you need to know for, for the, for the Yontif. We are, we are holding in, in the halacha still of, of Bayre, and we are talking about uh, removing sort of, uh, seeds or pips from, from watermelon and, uh, other types of, of, of fruits. So let's say you're cutting uh, open, as we approach summer, you can you mention the word, you're cutting open a watermelon in order to sort of, let's say, serve it at, at a meal. So you're allowed to shake each piece in order to, as much as possible, remove the, the pips from, from the piece. And those that don't sort of fall off when you when you shake them, so you're allowed to remove them either by hand or with a knife, because that is what's called derachachira. That's that's the way we eat things. We remove pips before we eat them at the time of the eating, with the condition that you must do it just before uh, it's about to be to be eaten, and 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 certainly, obviously, it will be permitted for the person who's actually eating. The, the watermelon to remove the pips before he puts a piece of watermelon into his, into his mouth. Cause that also, that is normal protocol, normal practice. When one eats is to remove the pips before one puts the food in his mouth. Now, if those, if those who want to a little bit be, be machmir 
and, and really make, do things in the right way. So if they, let's say, cut up a, a piece of watermelon in order to serve it, so they will remove the pips with some kind of a slight deviation from from the norm. They do it in, in, in a kind of unusual kind of way. Or they can serve the watermelon without removing the pips at all. And the person is actually eating. So once he uh, has a little bit of, of, of a taste, he can then remove the pip without any without any uh, deviation. You can do it normally, since that is definitely uh, a derech, derech achit. Now, if someone had in front of him, let's say, a, a plate, and mixed on this plate are some are some good, fresh fruits, and some of them that's already begun to go a little bit off. So you're allowed to remove from the mixture uh, all the fruits, that he intends to eat, or that he intends to serve in front of his his guests at the at the next uh, at the next suda says the the mishnah in in, in shin yutes and just serve them the good the good uh, the good food. Now, if he doesn't intend to eat right now all the all the good fruit, but and he's worried that if he's going to leave the mixture together, the the rotten fruit. Could sort of uh, become contagious and 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 start to ruin also the the good fruits, right? Which it's touched, it's mixing with them. It could it could uh, negatively affect them. So then you can then take all the fruit, sort of scatter it out on a table or something, in order that the the rotten fruit will no longer be touching the good fruits. But you cannot sort of sort them. And put the good fruit over here, and and the rotten fruit o- over there. That definitely would qualify as uh, as as butter. Uh, a a fruit that's a little bit rotten, in other words, it's not so edible. So at the place where where it's connected between you know, the part that's good and the part that's still that's still uh, edible. So at that juncture, there's obviously a mixture of good and bad, and therefore you cannot cut and remove the the rotten part, because the fact if I'm doing that, I'm removing the inedible things from the edible ones, and the, the only way to do it is to remove together with the rotten part a little bit of the of the good part, and then I can eat the rest of the good part because now I've removed some of the good also together with the bad. We're going to come back in a minute with a few closing comments. This is Soul to Soul on 11.9 High FM, and this is the greatest Jewish radio station in all of Africa. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Soul to Soul back on your radio. Erev Shabbos Kodesh. Today is Hashanah, but tomorrow Metzeshem is Shabbos Kodesh and Shmini Atzeres, and of course some Chostayra around the corner. We are learning Hilchas Boyer, and we're going to talk for a moment about liquids, right? Uh, 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 kind of straining liquids also can be a total prohibition, and it's it depends on the the sort of the individual situation of, of the liquids. If the liquid has some things that are undesirable and without sort of straining it, it would be impossible to drink the, that liquid. So then the, the straining is mamish, uh, a melacha that's preparing that food or that drinks, that drink to be able to be drunk. And if someone did such an act of, of straining, his mamish violating a total prohibition of straining on Shabbos, of, of Bayer. And if without the straining you'd be able to, to drink it, then you're allowed to strain it even with a strainer. And even though that through the straining he's still going to prepare, uh, he's still going to uh, improve it a little, a little bit. So that improvement doesn't make such a, a, a great big Difference is not essentially changing the drink which was drinkable 
even before the straining, and therefore there's no there's no prohibition. What about somewhere sort of in between, where the the drink is 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 not really nice, and without straining it, most people are not used to to drinking it. But there are people who, you know, when they're desperate, would definitely drink it even without straining. So there the luck is you would not be allowed to strain it with a proper strainer, in other words, the way we do it on, on weekday. And there's a, a, a discussion if you'd be allowed to strain it, let's say, with a piece of, of cloth, right, which is unusual. According to most of the shinim, it's allowed. But let's say the Rambam, says it's it's forbidden. And the Haroinim bring down that really one should be machme, and if it's something that most people would not drink without straining it, one should be machme like the Rambam and not strain it at all, even with a, a cloth. And therefore, let's say you have a wine and there's sort of sediment at the bottom, since they're really, it's not drinkable with the sediment, you're not allowed to strain it in order to take out the, the wine. And if you did, you're literally violating a Torah prohibition, says, says the Shulchan Aruch in, in, Shin, in Shin Yutes. But if the, the wine is sort of slightly cloudy to the point where most people are not used to drinking that wine, but it is possible to drink it sort of when, when push comes to shove, then you'd be, you're not allowed to, to, uh, to strain it with a strainer. And we said, even through a cloth, it, it's better not to do it. But in contrast to this, let's say a, a wine that is completely drinkable, that you'd be allowed to strain in order that it should be absolutely uh, a clear and with no no sediment at all. Because since even before the straining, it was definitely drinkable. So that straining is not considered a, a malacha at all in that in that particular uh, 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 situation. Okay, uh, that about ends our our uh, our time together. It was such a great privilege to be able to have time today on Mamishan Erev Shabbos and Yontif to, to learn a bit of Torah together. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you inspired. I hope you learnt something you didn't know. And now it's just left for me to wish each and every one of our beautiful, beautiful radio family. Thank you for listening, and to each one of you, a good Shabbos and a good Yantif.